insurance agents from around the world. Welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless agency owner and host of the Insurance Guys podcast. That's the first time in 215 episodes I've screwed that up. That's the first, Jack. You're here for the very first time. You want to leave it in? Nah. Yeah, let's just leave it in. Hell. Okay. 215 episodes, and that's the first time I've ever screwed it up. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I hope you're not having a stroke today or something. Might be, never know about me. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I got my new mic stand. My new so podcast table. I'm, I'm so all excited. Yeah. So beautiful. You're just getting it dialed in a, over there just like a, you like it. I had a client that AOR'd their policy, a commercial policy away from us last year Yeah. that I was just accidentally sent the renewal by the carrier. So we're going to have fun with that later today. Mm. Uh, it's a good day, man. Yeah. I got one right now with bated breath waiting on Scott to call because they're owed one refund by the nationwide and they're owed another refund by Progressive. Okay. Mm. They want those refunds sent to their home. Exact words. We could use the money. Just one problem. They have a mortgage. One, pro- one problem, Bradley. You know what that problem is? Both billing accounts are past due. Oh. And carriers typically do not send a refund to a policyholder when there's money owed on the billing account. Yeah. Correct? Yep. So they are going to have, they're going to stroke out when big, when big boy here calls them right after this podcast. And I have to tell them that, and then they probably will cuss me out for 15 minutes, but that's okay. That's what we're here for. Bradley, I got big news to report. Okay. Had my first meeting yesterday with a meth head. Okay. Formal sit down. Never had a meeting with a meth head before. Now guys, let me tell you what happened Thursday night. My 68 year old father-in-law had his very nice 16 foot flatbed trailer stolen Mm. they cut a master lock off of it stole it out of his barn and we put out an apb pine ridge mafia put out an apb for this trailer we facebook we're monitoring facebook we're monitoring craigslist because that'll be the places it shows up right so yesterday i got out shop yeah i got out and about kim was with me i said let's ride around just go to some of these places we know that trailer might be and see if we can find it we pull up 100 yards from our house separated by the woods little side road to a meth heads trailer, no power, no water. This is me talking to his uncle 10 minutes after we met with him. Bradley, let me say this about meth heads. They are very good at selling. Mm-hmm. They are great at it. He had all the right answers. Soon as I get it, he goes, he, he walks up on me. Now his yard looks like, you know how meth heads will start a project, but they can't finish it. So he's got like a, a car with the engine out of it that he probably worked on for five or six hours. And then he had to move on to something else. He has a tent set up. I don't know if he's living in the trailer or just cooking the meth in the trailer and living in the tent. Cause you probably wouldn't want to do both. Right? Like you wouldn't want to cook meth where you're anyway, shit, just everywhere, just all over his yard. He walks up on me. He's like, Hey, can I help y'all with something? Cause we were kind of creeping by looking. And I said, yeah, you can help me find a trailer. Somebody stole. Oh man. Somebody stole a trailer. How long was it? I might've seen that trailer. I don't know. You got a picture of that trailer. My dad's got a trailer like that. You got a picture of that trailer. Here's where he made a mistake. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I'm going to go to all the drug houses around here. See if I can locate that trailer for you. Now, my first thought was how the hell do you know where all the drug houses are? If you're not a meth, if you're not a drug head. Right. And then Kim sitting in the passenger seat goes, did you say you had some stuff stolen from you? And he goes, yeah, but don't worry about it. Ain't no big deal. And then he changes the subject. He was trying to relate to us, mm-hmm. right? Sales 101, get down there with your client, get down there with your prospect. Get in the boat. Oh man, y'all had something stolen. I've been having some stuff stolen. Then he changes direction of the conversation. As soon as he says that, he goes, oh, 
He goes, you know, I dumpster dive. That's how I make a living. I go to Huntsville. I dumpster dive. I take shit out of the dumpster and I sell it on Facebook and Craigslist for like $150, $250. That's how I make money. And he just has all the answers, dude. Everything mm-hmm. I could ask him. It was just boom, 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 boom. So I get through with him. I call his uncle because I knew who his uncle was that lives across the street from me. And then his uncle gives me the 411. It's like, yeah, stay away from him. <laughs> well, it's kind of like that meme bar. of like, have you ever seen a crackhead that without money or so, you know, you know, everybody right. knows the meme I'm talking about. It's like they figure out a way to get it done. So can you. They they have got all the answers, brother. We got a great podcast for you guys today. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have our guest on the show. Part one, how to go from producer to agency owner. Part two today on this podcast will be how to go from agency owner to business owner. And here's the best way I can describe it to everybody. When you become an agency owner, less than scratch, you're like the high school football coach. You're having to chalk the field, mow the grass, clean the toilets. Why can't you sons of bitches keep this locker room clean? I am tired of coming in here and cleaning up this locker room after y'all. First one of y'all that cuts one of these belts that the booster club bought us for our football pants, we're going to run 50 sprints. <laughs> Actually had that happen to me one time. It's, it's kind of like when I started Portal, I had to mop my 1,800-square-foot concrete floor that was painted with wall paint, by the way. It chipped like crazy with a Swiffer. Yeah. I didn't have a mop. I couldn't buy a mop. I had to do it with a Swiffer. That's your agency owner right a there. A hand-me-down awesome. Swiffer at yeah. that. Yeah, no doubt. So let me tell you what happens, guys. And this is today's podcast. You win three state championships at Huntsville High School in football. Next thing you know, Arkansas State University calls you. We would like to interview you for the head coaching job at Arkansas State University. You get the job. You are no longer a high school football coach. Bradley, you know what you are? You are a CEO of a college football program. That is exactly what Nick Saban is. He is not a football coach anymore, ladies and gentlemen. He is a CEO. And he is running a multi-million dollar operation. So today, we're going to talk about how to make that transition. That's why we're here. And we got the man that can help us do that. So let me give him, I hope, a better introduction than I gave Bradley and I today. That's what my hope is. Ladies and gentlemen, he is originally from Strongsville, Illinois, and he currently resides in Medina, Ohio. He is married to the beautiful Melissa, and they have two beautiful sons. Handsome, not beautiful. Don't get mad at me. Neil and Ian, Neil and Ian, don't get mad at me. Neil's 15, Ian's 10. I got a 15-year-old. We could probably have a four-hour podcast on having a 15-year-old boy and what that's like. He's a graduate of Kent State University, a third-generation agency owner. He joined the agency full-time in 2001, and he learned early on that taking care of your clients is paramount. His career has included positions in customer service, and accounting before taking over as vice president of personal lines in 2007. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you first-time guest on the IGP, Mr. Jack Hartvick. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Man, thank you so much for being here. We got so much to talk about. You know, I was saying this right before we got on the air. People say things to me and they think that it's just innocuous, that it just goes past me. But the last podcast that Bradley and I did on how to go from producer to agency owner, he said something to me that I've been thinking about ever since. He said, uh, what was it exactly that you said, Bradley? You said you uh, have beautiful eyes. Besides that, you say that to me. I said that being an agency owner, what I'm doing now is harder than when I started. And when you said that, it stopped me in my tracks. And it's about all I've thought about since that podcast. It's true, though. Everybody starts an agency, Jack. They think this is going to be hard as hell when it's scratch. And it is. Mm -hmm. I I would not do the scratch thing again. Uh, Well, I say that. But generally speaking, I wouldn't do the scratch thing. Being my only deal, you know. And you start it. You're like, if I could just get to that 13th month, which I've talked about on the show. That is kind of like a mecca for scratch agencies. If you can write enough business to float the expenses till you get to 13s, do you have the renewals come in? And, you know, Portal, we about ran out of money right at the 13th month. So it came perfect timing. And now we have the renewals paying our expenses and that sort of thing. And then you think, oh, if I could just get to five to $10 million in premium, I'll have it made. But it's kind of like more money, more problems, you know? And then it's like, 
oh, now I have these issues that have popped up, you know? Correct. And it's like, it's never going to get easier as you grow. There's certain facets of it that are going to get easier mm-hmm. that, you know, some things that you dealt with in the beginning that are super hard are now super easier because you've outsourced whatever, but other things pop there. It's like, it's like whack-a-mole, you know? Yeah. That money thing is hard. You know, and I get it. There's probably people out there listening that are like, man, you know, like, I don't, I've got to figure out where I'm going to pay my next bill. I got to write these policies just to feed my family next month. And that's hard. But as you get bigger, the stakes also get bigger. The decisions get harder. And, you know, we're at a point now where, you know, if we don't write a good two, two and a half million dollars in new business, we shrunk, you know, so there's that aspect of, you know, every year the expectations just grow and grow upon, you know, what they were the previous year. Man, I'll have people who want to be agency owners reach out to me and they're too scared to take the plunge because they're afraid they don't have enough money. And I'm like, well, how much money do you have? And they're like, I have $200,000 in the bank. I'm like, do you have any idea how much bigger I would be right now if I had 200 yeah. K in the bank to start with, let alone that hundred K. Hey, Bradley, did, did not hear Chris Paradiso tell you this was back when you were considering going out on your own, but I could swear. Please tell me if I'm wrong about this. Didn't Chris tell you that he felt like anybody could go out and get started as an independent agent with $15,000 in their savings account. I don't recall that specific conversation, but that would be incredibly hard without cutting some significant corners. I mean, never going to say never. Yeah. I may be wrong about that. I don't, so, you know, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I want to say that. Now. What, what do you think the number is Bradley? What's the minimum you got to have to get started to do it I right, mean, to do it the right way. And I'm not saying somebody can't do somebody out there could do it with $3 in their checking account. I know that. And it depends on, it, I mean, it depends on you and where you're located. You know what I mean? Right. What, what I would tell someone, it, what, what I did essentially, and we're kind of reverting back to the beginning of this, right. the series, but what I would do is I would figure out a reasonable, excuse me, I would, I would get my expenses down. Okay. So what I did is I did a business plan. This is what everything's going to cost me. All this crazy stuff we're doing now with agency Zoom and and Glovebox and Aria's Analytics. I, I didn't do any of that in the beginning. It was like, what do I need to sell insurance, right? Right. Yeah. Now the catch of that is I didn't rest on my laurels when things started going good, and I didn't not implement those things. I still implemented those things. But anyway, these are what my expenses are going to be. Okay, so this is how much I have to have times twelve. Mm-hmm. And then what I did is I said, okay, how much money do I have? I subtracted that out of that. And I said, okay, this is how much business I have to write. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like our deal was, is we had to do four, if we did $4,000 a day in premium, we broke even that day. You, you basically backed in. Backed I backed in. into it. And then it was like, okay, now, the, and then that number that we wrote of new business also correlated to, if we went every month that we paid the expense, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words here. Every month that we paid the expenses, with the new business and didn't have to touch the nest egg bought us another month on the back end. Right. You see what I'm saying? It gave more. And so that's, I think you have to look at it that way and you have right. to consider your situation and also where you're located at. I mean, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in Alabama gets you a really, really, really long way, but a hundred thousand dollars in New York city or California or, or somewhere else like that doesn't get you very far. You know what right. I mean? So I think you have right. to look at that too. The two things I had going for me was, is the cost of living in Alabama is extremely, three things, cost of living in Alabama is extremely low. I had a very, very, very times a million supportive wife and our premiums were high. Right. Those are kind of the things that I had going for me that allowed me to do it. But somebody in say Ohio where Jack's at, where the average premium is negative (laughs) $32, it's going to be a different equation, you know? So we, Jack, let's let's stop right there. I think we've done talked all we need to talk <laughs> about how to go from producer to agency owner. Now, here's my first question for you, and I've got about five pages of questions here. What do you think the inflection point is when you're no longer gonna be a agency owner per se? When I when I say agency owner, I'm talking about the, the, the guy or girl that just got started. Maybe they've been there one or two, three years as a agency owner, but it feels more like they're doing everything. When's the inflection point? When do you feel like the inflection point happens where you stop working in the business every day and you start working on the business? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of it comes down to people 
And when I say that, you know, there, there comes a time in every agency owner's life where they have to empower the people that are working around them. Because, you know, and Bradley said it last week uh, on that podcast where, you know, it, there's not much that happens in his agency that he doesn't know about. Mm-hmm. There comes a time where that becomes unsustainable. And, and that's another difference between Bradley and I. Bradley is very that way. I know nothing about what my people are doing. Nothing. They, they, could, they might all be gone right now. They may be at a pool in Birmingham at the RSA hotel at, at, at swimming. I have no idea. I'm over here doing my thing. I, I don't even, I don't even check in with them unless they need something. They know where to find. But I'm also empathetic to the fact that it's not always going to be like that. And there are some facets right. that I let go and I don't work. You know what I mean? But that's where I think Jack people get messed up going from, from this plateau to, to this plateau Yeah, is they can't let go of it. Yeah. It's yeah. not it, mine is because I can, you know what I mean? But it's, you got, they, they got to hold on to that. You know what I mean? I'm the, and then the, they end up becoming the bottleneck for everything. Well, that, that's, that's part of the pandemic that we have in leadership and in, in the, in the world of insurance with agency owners is you become institutionalized because for four or five years you are scrubbing toilets. Yep. You're doing everything. And eventually you get to a point to where it's hard when mm-hmm. it's time to let go, to let go. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you've got to start to hire experts at that point that are going to really, and and I think that's kind of one of the first steps that you run into is, and and I see this all the time as agencies kind of look at who their staff is. And when we looked at our staff and we kind of said, Hey, look, if we want to get to the next level, everything revolved around them. Mm -hmm. I, I needed to empower them to manage people. I needed to empower them to make decisions without me. And most importantly, I needed to have a team of people that would attract the next generation of people that wanted to work here. So we had to, in many ways, get rid of some folks that if I'm a producer and I want to come to an agency and you walk into my agency, I guarantee you're going to be impressed with my people and you're going to think these folks can get my stuff done. Right. You got to get rid of those people at that point, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to attract the types of producers that you need to attract to take that next step forward. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm real sure about I don't know that I understood what you just said. You said if you come if you come to my agency, you're going to find people that do a great job. Say, say that one more time. I don't think yeah. I understood that. So, so I'm so if I'm a producer and I bring a producer in, right. and they all producers are going to depend very heavily on that service staff that is going to support them and help them write business. Right. When people come into my office and they deal with my folks, mm-hmm. they're impressed. Right. And they think about it and they compare it to the places that they've been in mm-hmm. other agencies. Oh, you're talking they, about other, you're talking about producers that are thinking about coming to work with y'all. Correct. Yeah. I gotcha. mean, and you got, you've met Andrew who works for yep. me, yep. you know, he's a guy that I put in front of a producer and they think, okay, this guy's going to be the one helping me write business. Where do I sign? Exactly. You know, and, and having those, and that's the thing. Yeah. As you make that kind of step up to, you know, have been more of a, a business owner, you've got to have those people that are going to kind of lift every aspect of your agency up. So you got to invest in the good more folks. of like a managerial kind of role, sort of. You got it. Yep. So hey, where, where, you, where hey. do you think that happens? At what point do you think? Because I'll tell somebody that I have a buddy of mine I was I was talking to that that has 200 employees, not in the insurance industry. And I was like, man, I'm in such a weird spot right now because I'm large enough that my team is large enough that there's it's a lot for me to, to, to handle, but I'm still small enough that I don't have the payroll to go hire a VP of sales or that sort of thing. So like, what's the, where's the point? And I know it's kind of back to my initial point of Scott's question, you know, answering Scott's question of like, it just depends on your situation, but when, when did that kind of happen for you guys, you think? Yeah. So for us, it happened right around the 12 to $13 million mark. Um, now, as you said, we deal with Ohio premiums, so that's probably that's a 20, lot of policies, <laughs> 20 million anywhere else. Um, but that was, that's you know, 12 million policies too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, for us at that point, we kind of, and we've taken this in two steps. So the first thing we had was more divisional managers. So we kind of said, Hey, look, we're going to turn personal lines over to a personal lines manager. We're going to turn commercial lines over to a commercial lines manager. And they were the ones that were going to handle all of the day-to-day tasks 
of servicing. So if a problem came up with a customer where they said, hey, I need to talk to a manager, they're the ones handling it. People are requesting time off. People are doing all that stuff. All of that goes through that department. I don't hear about it at all. They also track the sales too. You got it. Yep. Sales renewal, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Hey, they hey, they run the whole thing and they report to me. Jack, let me ask you a question. Well, first, let me make a statement. The beauty about this particular podcast today is I am sitting on the cusp of that next level. We just this week, or sorry, last week, hit $10 million in premium. It's a big, big milestone for us, right? Congrats. But as we start, led this podcast off, now it's okay. $10 million's great. Can't look in the rearview mirror. Real small mirror. How are we going to get that to 20? That was four policies, by the way, Jack. <laughs> yeah, right. How do we how do we get to 20? Yeah. How do we get to 20? And by the way, you're never going to get to 20 or 50 or 100 million without an army. You got to yeah, have yeah. an army. So if you're not a good leader, it's going to be hard to get there because you can't build the army that you need to build to get there, right? Absolutely. So this is the perfect podcast for where I'm at today. We are getting ready to hire a full-time CFO, bookkeeper, CFO, going to handle. Of course, God knows we need one after what just happened, right? Everybody knows what happened. Here's my next question. When do you hire, and I think I know the answer to this, the full-time human resource manager? Because I still find myself getting sucked into a lot of human resources stuff. Yeah, we, we still outsource it. So, yeah, so it's still, we, we handle some of it internally and we've got some other folks that is next on our list of things to do. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say, you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, you hire a CFO, the finance portion of the agency is something that I've always been good at. I've always liked, right. you know, so CFO is a little farther down our line. And as you make those evaluations, you got to figure out what you're bad at and what you right. can't do. And right. those are the big ones you got to hire. Like, you know, if you're not good at organizing those people, a COO should be the first thing on your list. Right. For me, I am not a marketing mind person. Like we went out and we had to hire some really good marketing people. That's just not what I do. It's not what a lot of the folks here did. Um, so I, I think no, that's wait, wait, what wait, a big we got, thing. We got to stop right there because there's two definitions in this crazy world we call insurance. So in the 80s and 90s and 2000s meant marketing meant renewals, going Quoting. out, new business, going out, yeah. finding the right yeah. carrier for your producer. That was what marketing, the marketing role was. Now, it seems like the marketing role, it could be either that or promoting the agency, branding, social media, all that good stuff. Yep. And that's what we had to go out and find. Right. Yeah, we, we, I remember we, we, we interviewed a, a lady at a, from a bigger agency and she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm in marketing. And I'm like, okay, what, you know, we start going into like Facebook ads. She's like, no, no, I'm, I, I like, I take the stuff and I quote it. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, we're talking about two different, <laughs> yeah. two different types of marketing. Yeah. That's yeah. apples and bananas. No doubt. But, but, but Jack, so like, if you have, if there's an agency owner out there that's in that 10 to $15 million range, and I feel like a lot of agency owners get to that point. And they, they almost stagnate a little bit, whether intentionally or unintentionally. It could be a, a mixture of both. You know, I, I, uh, an agent, an, an, another agency owner gave my wife some advice when she started her agency. And he told her, he said, you know, you're going to get to that point one day where you get to five hundred to $600,000 in, in revenue. And it's very easy for you to slow down, pump the brakes, and create a really good living for yourself, but that's where people stagnate. And that's the time that you need to double down and keep pushing as if you were brand new. And that's right. where you go from a relatively mid to small agency to a big agency. So there's some of that too, but then, the, you know, the intentional stuff of, Oh, I'm at a million, 1.5 million in revenue. I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit on it, which I can imagine that's very enticing to, to get to that point, you know, but then the other side of that is the person who's at that point and can't figure out, hey, why can't I grow this thing? Why are we losing just as much as we're writing and that sort of thing? And I think that's where hiring some of these VP of personal lines and, and these managers to kind of layer some stuff in there could really help, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think the other aspect that you see, because because you're right, people get comfortable like that. That is by far the most you know, a horrible thing that happens to an agency owner because growth is never comfortable. Like there's no point where you ever are growing and saying like, oh man, I'm growing and I'm also just making money hand over fist. The two of those things generally do not happen at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think I'll, too, I'll argue though, the only time growth is comfortable is when you're scratch. Yeah, true. That's why that's and when you said that, it like that's why I say it's harder now because when you're scratch, you don't have any books. It's really easy to grow. And yep. now when you're growing, now it's coming with more problems. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when Scott hosted our event in Denver, me and Scott hosted our event in Denver, we had people wanting to buy tickets after the cutoff and selling more tickets over here led to more expenses over here. And it made us have to re like, and it was just like, we can't take anybody. And so it's kind of the same right. thing. The more you grow, it just more problems come with it. Yep. Yeah. So the other thing that I'll say is choose, you know, producers become the, the big aspect of what you're doing and constantly hunting and constantly trying to find those folks um, because you're not the folks that get stuck at 10 million generally also never make that jump into running large commercial business. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to make that jump, you're never going to really get I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions. I'm sure there's somebody out there saying, oh, I know this agency. But it is really hard to get over 10 million unless you get into writing large middle market commercial accounts and finding the producers and the staff that'll do that. For the sake so, of our audience, define large because to some people, large may be a $5,000 bop. Hey, to some in Ohio, carrier, it is. It's different. It's different from carrier to carrier. Yeah. What they yep. define as mid market versus small commercial. Well, Scott was yeah. talking to an agency last week and they told him he needed to write some larger accounts. And, and he's like, well, I'm in. Huntsville, Alabama, like what well, you know. Well, I mean, that, they're right. We do, but they I are mean, right. But it, for it, everybody, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny how different agencies see depending on your size. You know, what's big? What what's big to you may not may be, you know, huge to me. Yeah, our our producers don't chase anything intentionally. I mean, obviously, we come across a ton of different stuff. Um, but when we're looking at our targeting lists, we're looking at twenty five thousand premium and above as being what we want to hit at. So 25,000 to 100,000 is kind of our sweet spot. We go above and below that as we need to. But when we're targeting, that's kind of how we define a good middle market size account. What do you guys do when you come across something that's less than 25,000? Because there's some agencies here locally that, you know, if it's less than whatever in revenue, they don't even write it. But I can see that going wrong from a customer experience standpoint so much. Like, what do you... Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, so we we allow it. We, we don't we pay the same commission on it right now. I, I will say though, we've got a good producer group that doesn't necessarily try to go below that. So they're shooting for the bigger accounts, but in that process, if they come across smaller ones, they can still write it. Basically, you got it. Yeah, yeah. and gotcha. and we sell them on that, and you know we make sure that they're aware of all of the mathematics that go into the agency. And, and I'll give you kind of an example of one of the hurdles that we had that we used to grow. So we had a situation for about four years. We went to every account rep that we had on staff and we said, hey, look, I want you to nominate three accounts for us to fire tomorrow just to Mm. get out the door. And it was a tough conversation with producers because if I'm a producer and I'm learning like I've got an account and we're just going to get rid of it. It's a good way to kind of go through and say, hey, look, this is why these type of accounts don't make sense. If I've got a $15,000 account and here's the 84 emails they sent me just last month, we're all losing money on that. Yeah. And unless we all adapt a philosophy that is going to show us that these accounts aren't making us money, we all have to be in that together. So we do, we've done a good job of making sure producers aren't chasing a ton of that. And the stuff we get as a result is more relationship built and it comes to us more organically. So the agency that I was with last week has just recently instituted not paying producers for commercial accounts that have less than $1,000 in revenue. And there's two reasons for that. And they, they are, they're like, we should have done this years ago. It's the best thing we've ever done. So the first thing that does is it forces the producer to round out the account. Mm. Because what it's going to keep your producer from doing is writing that monoline stuff. Like we've only got workers comp. We've only got the GL. They're going to, they're going to round out the account to get it over the thousand dollar in revenue size. That's the first thing it does. The second thing that they brought up that you can't really argue is most of the accounts, commercial accounts in your agency that are less than $1,000 in revenue are going to require as much and probably more work than, than the mid-market account. Mm-hmm. So on two different angles there, they've kind of, 
you know, I guess answered those two questions. How do we get people to round out accounts? Well, you don't pay them for anything less than $1,000 in revenue. I'm not saying we don't do that here yet. Remember, I said the word yet. We don't do that here yet, but it is a very intriguing prospect. I totally see the point. I would rather have a huge book of personal lines than a huge book of small commercials, small commercial bops. I think the $500 to $1,000 premium lawn care slash landscaper is the worst account you can write. That's just my personal opinion. I have one on the books and he's my brother-in-law and that's the only reason we have it. I don't, I just, there's, I can go into, I did a little video for Scott and some of our friends a while back on it. It's a Um, problem. My problem, and I would love to get Jack's thoughts on this, like, that's what the agency, one of these agencies here locally does. Everything less than this, nobody gets paid on it. I'm curious, A, how how they handle that from a customer service, customer experience standpoint, because you can piss some people off really quick. Sorry, we don't write accounts that size. You don't say that. Calling you again ever. Don't say that. How do you, how do they, how do they massage that enough? But from a customer experience standpoint, certainly there's going to be some people that fall by the wayside. And then thirdly, I think Andrew and I talk, talked about this recently. Some of my biggest accounts started as really, really small accounts. Our largest account right now is a big real estate developer started as one house yeah. that I was willing to write that nobody else was. So like, how do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, there's, so when, there's definitely a ditch on both sides. There of this is. Road, guys. And and I'm, I'm not, not I'm not sitting here saying there's not. And the agency yeah. we're talking about totally understand why they did it. It makes complete sense, but it just seems that there's, that comes with issues, you know? Yeah. I will say that our producers don't touch that business once it's on the books and they, and they try to touch it very little while they're getting it on the books. We've got a small commercial team that kind of takes over that relationship. You know, if that account cancels, if something bad happens to that account, the producer generally doesn't even get notified. They handle it all. It's not worth the time to be paying a producer uh, that could be going out and finding larger accounts to be working on that stuff. So we treat it differently you know, from, from that standpoint, but we've, I'm with you in terms of, we'd like to pay on it because we, you know, we've had those accounts too, that have started off at $5,000 accounts and now are $70,000 accounts. Well, and, and, and the reason I'm so interested in that is because we've, we've thought about doing that, Scott, having a minimum account size and kind of what, and we haven't settled on anything, but kind of where my head's at now is you have your, your main producers, and then you, you're always going to, or at least we are, we're always going to have newer producers that are just kind of getting their feet wet and that sort of thing. Um, maybe having a situation where everything below X revenue gets passed off to the junior producers or the newer producers, they write the account, but they get paid and the producer gets paid, right. but the producer doesn't get paid in the way they would normally get paid. But at the same time, they didn't have to do any work. Sure. So it's kind of, that's kind of the, but of course, then that doesn't solve the problem of the agency having all these small accounts on the books. So mm-hmm. then you run into that as well. So it's like, you almost need to have like another agency that is willing to write that for you and pay you a spiff on it. Right. You know, that you may, you may have just created a great idea, Bradley, for somebody like Rogue Risk that just, you know, I think, you know, partnered with another firm and, you know, maybe you send it to somebody like that and let them write it. They've got licenses in every state and you get paid some kind of commission for it to, for them to service and sell it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jack, yeah. you mentioned a commercial, small commercial team or a commercial team, but by, by definition of team, you mean like a team of account managers? Yeah. So we've got account managers that exclusively handle accounts, $20,000 and under. Okay. And then what about accounts above that? Does the producer handle everything or? No, no, we've got team uh, it's CSRs that handle, handle all so, that. So I'm curious the, and this is something else. I've, I've had, all my questions are coming from a selfish standpoint, producer account manager relationship. Talk about that and how you guys work that in your agency, because it's really easy when you're an agency like mine, who has started scratch and growing really fast. I, th- I think we tend to lean more towards the producer doing a little bit more than what I would like. So, so talk a little bit about that, how you guys yeah. handle that. Yeah. So one thing I'll say is it's always stressful. Like I've never walked into an agency where that's always been harmonious hundred percent right. of the time. Right. There always seems to be a, a stress there. And I think, and I think actually a little bit of that is healthy because in some ways they're doing two different things, but there's a few things that we do to kind of 
fight that a little bit. One is um, I'm a big believer that service people service, salespeople sell. Our, our salespeople do not do any service practically at all. And we do not want them to. They're generally not good at it. They generally don't want them to do it. I don't believe in trying to get, convince those people to be hybrid. Let the people do what they're good at. Second thing we do is, and, and Scott, you were talking about the disc profile that you guys use. Um, we use a company called PeopleSense and it's a personality test. And everybody in my company um, has been tested under this. And the people of PeopleSense know all of my people and they know everybody we work with. So they um, will help us to kind of match up personalities. You know, so a producer might, you know, match up better with this particular account rep versus a different one. So we kind of use that a little bit to make that fit good from the start. Um, and then the other thing that we do is, is we have meetings where it's both the producer and the account rep together with a manager kind of talking through um, everything. And when you have somebody else in that conversation that's getting involved, that's kind of an impartial judge, mm -hmm. it really helps a lot um, to kind of make that relationship feel more of like a team versus an us versus them type of a philosophy. Or I'll throw a curveball at you. But if you have the producer slash slash agency owner who's the producer who is a control freak and don't want to let it go, how you do that? Yeah, you gotta let it go. <laughs> but as the agency owner, I'm saying as the agency owner, do you help that producer identify things? Hey, these things could be passed off to your account manager and that sort of thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah so, they, go ahead, Jack. Oh, yeah. So they they have to account for their time to an extent, you know, just kind of like, hey, you know. What were you working on? What were you doing? And if the answer to that question is I was, you know, doing this service work, no, you know, we, we immediately bring a meeting in to kind of make sure that they're not doing any of that. Gotcha. So Jack, let me say this. Okay. And then I've got a couple more questions for you and I need full undivided attention from our listening audience. Pull your car over. Pull your damn car over and write this shit down. And the reason I'm telling you to write this down is I was with an agency last week that is a lot more successful than I am. A lot more successful. They do things the right way. They've got great people. They've got a lot of rock stars. They got rock stars on the producer side. They got rock stars on the servicing side. And I met with all of them. And I filled out. I filled up a legal notebook last week for eight hours on this topic. Okay. So here's what we're about to change at I protect insurance. And y'all need to write this shit down because we've been doing it wrong. And I'm speaking to the question that Bradley just asked. Okay. Cause I know where he was wanting to go with this. So here's what we're going to change. If any of my people listen to this, don't freak out. We'll do it together. <laughs> You're all fired. You're all no. So Jack just said, service people service, sales people sell. So here's what we're about to change. The producer doesn't matter if it's personal lines or commercial. does not matter. Their job is to go out and kill it and bring it home, right? They are meeting with prospects. They're calling on potential you know, prospects that we want to be customers. They're doing insurance quotes for them. They're sending out proposals and quotes to people and then they'll get those quotes in when that policy gets sold meaning they have confirmation from the prospect that they want to be a client of i protect insurance they want to take out that policy at that time we are going to loop the account manager in and he or she is going to take the ball and run it in the end zone mm. The account manager's role will be get all the documents signed, the, all the, you know, any type of, uh, applications or the, now, now the produce it's the producer's responsibility to put that all in, in our agency management system so that the account manager can access that, right? Put the quotes in there, the application in there, any, any, uh, like subcontractor supplemental applications, all that stuff loop in the account manager in an email with the next, about to be new client and the account manager takes the ball and runs it in the end zone to include putting the invoicing information into, into our Hawksoft system. And I know some of y'all use other systems, getting the payment from the customer, right? 
everything on the service end. And let me tell you what that does for you, people. When you, and, and that's the word you need to use, loop in the account manager. I'm going to loop in my account manager because what is that doing right there? That is building the relationship with the account manager on the front end, setting that expectation. You're already working. Really, you're kind of working now with both the, the, mm-hmm. the, produ- the producers kind of taking you to the five-yard line, but now you're already working with your account manager. So guess what happens six months from now when you need something? Oh, I remember working with her. She's the one that took my payment and got all my, my policies documents signed and sent to the all that stuff. So that's what we're about to do in our agency. We're going to take a lot of what we've been having producers do, which is running the ball all the way into the end zone. They're going to stop at the five yard line. Yep. Yeah. And, that, and that's how we you done hand it, it off to the running back. Yeah. You hand it off to the running back and let them run it in the end zone. We do all that. I'll, I'll add one thing that we'll often do on large accounts. We're, we're going to bring that account rep out even to sell the policy. Yeah. And, and they're generally pretty quiet at that meeting until the yes is given. Keep your um, damn mouth shut. Yep. But once that yes is given and we have to start that other stuff, they love it when there's somebody there that's like, okay, look, I know this person here is here for the sole purpose of making sure this all gets done. Right. Um, so bringing that person out for that can be helpful. It, it also probably helps the account manager appreciate the sales process too. Yep. You kind of get both sides of that. Here's what it. else you're going to find out, guys, when you do when you do this. Here's what else you're going to find out. If you have a weakest link at running back, meaning the person taking that ball from the five-yard line into the end zone as the account manager on the service side, that is going to become glaringly obvious. Yeah. Yeah, we're going back because to that, the beginning. That, person, yep. that person's going to have problems. They're not going to be able to get the check, and the application's not done, and there's you're going to see it pretty quick. Yep, and that's kind of what we were saying at the beginning. Right. If you don't have that rock stars in that yep. in those positions, yep, everything else crumbles apart. Jack, before I let you go, I got a couple more questions, and then we got to get off this podcast. Okay, I got to interview a CFO at two thirty today. I've got thirty minutes before I have to interview her for a job with iProtect Insurance. I want you to tell us you're a business owner now. You're not an agency owner. You're the CEO. In fact, do you mind just ballpark how much premium you guys have got over there? Because I know it's a lot. Yeah, we've got about 19 million of Ohio premium. Perfect. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to hear. It's 19 million oh, policies. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's 756 million renters' policies. <laughs> I'm teasing. Jack, here's what I need to know. I fly to Badina, Ohio, and I just come sit in your office, which, by the way, I'm a threat to do. Did it last week. What's your day to day? Tell me what you do from the time you get to the office hour by hour till you leave every day. What are your responsibilities gotcha. as a as a business owner? Because I know you're not in the traveler's quoting portal doing quotes. <laughs> you're doing no. a traveler's umbrella quote. You're doing a tra- rather spends- colonoscopy than do a traveler's umbrella quote. I hear Jack I'll is, have travelers. That's all Jack does all day. Yeah. As that's a that's CEO. why I'm so miserable. Traveler's <laughs> umbrella quotes all day long. <laughs> he jumps off of a diving board into a pool of pennies. Give me your uh, day to day. Give me your day to day, Jack. What, what, yeah. what am I going to see when I sit down in your office for eight hours? Gotcha. So a lot of it is meeting with staff and okay. getting updates on what is happening in each department and with each direction that we're going. Um, so that's generally how I'll start most days. Is kind what of updates. You, what time do you get to the office? I get seven, seven to eight, depending on the day. Okay. So. Um, I'm a, I'm a nine o'clock guy. Gotcha. Yeah. But I'm a, but I'm an afternoon guy. I can go to eight o'clock every night. Yeah. See, I, I like to have dinner with my kids. Yeah. It's, it's, so, a, it, it's way easier to get in touch with Scott Howell before lunch than it is after lunch. Right. Gotcha. After lunch, he's going to hit ignore on you every single time. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> Between about th- two, about right now, two o'clock and about 6 PM. Boy, I can knock some damn work out. Yeah. But go so, ahead. And, and you know, and not every day that I'm doing this, but you know, a couple of days a week, usually I'm, I'm going through numbers. So I'm looking at where we are um, from, you know, I'm, I'm looking in agency zoom just to kind of see what's going on there. Um, that's our biggest one that I'm looking at, but I'm also looking at some of the management system, some of the service metrics um, that are being reported and seeing all that. So I spent a lot of time talking to, to the managers of the staff, talk a lot of time doing numbers. Um, and then it's a lot of kind of check-ins with people that we are working to develop, whether that's staff, 
whether that is a prospect, um, whether it is a customer that we feel you know we might be on the outs with. Um, it's a lot of just making sure that relationships are being developed and being moved forward the way that we need those relationships to be done. Jack, Jack, how many business partners do you have in that firm? So from an ownership standpoint at Hertvik, there's just myself and Andrew. And Andrew. Okay. Yep. So you're playing the role of daddy too, right? You're daddy. Yeah. You're the heavy, you're, you're the senior drill instructor. You're daddy. You're somebody has a big problem. Hey, come in here. Let's sit down and talk about it. Again, we try to empower the folks that that only happens when it becomes a real serious problem. Because you've got managers that are supposed to be kind of seeing about that. You got it. Yeah. And if that works correctly and there's a good amount of respect between those two parties, it, it never really needs to get escalated too much right. unless it's a big problem. Right. Okay. And so that's a lot of what those meetings are. Them telling, hey, we had this issue with so-and-so. And then if I feel like I need to get involved, I can, but generally they're going to handle it. You know, there's a couple of things I noticed from traveling around the country to, to, uh, to really big agencies and, and really just sitting back and watching. Here's one thing I noted last week, monster agencies, every monster agency I've ever been to has somebody, and it's typically a female that is a service oriented person, but is a Tom Brady. And it's, it's kind of like they're that person's like right hand. So Chris Paradiso has that. He's got a couple of those, actually. They, they can do it all, and they know it all. As far as understanding, like, culture and what's going on, and they can tell you about anything you want. Mike Stromso has Andrea White. Andrea White's a rock star. The group I was with last week has two rock stars, service people, and they can do it all. They can, do, they, they can tell it. They can tell you anything you want to know back to front, front to back, and they're very helpful and they're very friendly. I assume yep. that you guys have somebody like that too. We call them Mary Lou and Mike. Yep. Mary Lou and Mike. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. I mean, and it's funny. Both of them have a ton of experience in the industry. And, and we refer to Mike as our encyclopedia because right. it's like no matter what we need to ask, right. you know, we know that he's got that answer. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. And those, that's the thing. You got to have those people and you got to empower them. Let them be good at what they're doing. Yeah. And, and the other thing we talked a lot about last week on the visit I was at was letting people make mistakes. Yep. You know, Chris Prediso yeah. always says, I heard him say this a couple of times. I heard him say it in Kansas City a couple of weeks ago. We're going to make, he tells clients this, hey, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. And, but you've got to empower people and let them make some mistakes. Get their, get their knees skinned up a little bit. Mm, you yep. know, that's going to happen. And you're just going to have to deal with the, now, you can't let them just make mistake after mistake, after mistake, after mistake, and all day long, everybody's just fixing their stuff. Mm-hmm. But you do have to have some level of, hey, I'm going to let them skin their knees just a little bit and just see how that goes. Yeah. First mistake's a good thing. Third mistake's a problem. Yeah. That's right. That's generally the way that we, third, the put, third same mistake, I guess. I told my team a couple of weeks ago, you know, we have a few new people around here. Whenever we have new people, I think they get in this like sometimes they're they're scared once they're once they're out yeah. of the nest so to speak and they're selling right. they yep. get to this point where they're scared to make decisions without asking somebody which is yep. okay for a while but I told my yep. team last week I was like look I want to create a culture here where where people aren't scared to make decisions right and, and if you're a smart individual you're going to be able to figure out which ones you need to ask eventually you know right but but don't be scared to make a decision yeah. and that goes back to those personality tests. I, we've mm-hmm. had so many people where they've said, Jack, this person's going to come to you with everything. We're not, don't even think about hiring this person because you can't handle that. Like, yeah. and I can't, somebody has yeah. to ask me how to do everything. No way. Not my, yeah. not who I am. Last question, Jack. I'm gonna let you go. Appreciate you being on here today. Absolutely. You're a great American <laughs> putting you on the spot here. You ready? Let me have it. Three things, three traits. When you think of all the, the great CEOs, the 20 millions, the 50 millions, the hundred millions, and the, and the men and women who are the CEOs of those agencies, what are three traits that you think you see in those people that kind of carry across all of them? So I'll start with consultative. Um, and I think that that's a huge aspect uh, on our, and in what we do, you know, we are there to solve problems. You know, we are there to help people at the most difficult times of their lives in many instances. So we have got to be consultative in our approach when we're talking to people. Um, second thing that I would say is um, innovative is probably a big one. We didn't even get into 
uh, you know, a lot of the different technology aspects uh, that you need to start to implement in your agency for efficiencies to be increased, the way we need to kind of look outside of the normal means of distribution uh, to grow our agencies. Um, so you've got to be innovative and you've got to be looking for ways to grow outside a little bit of the norm. And you've got to be, and innovative also means working smarter, not harder. You got it. Yep. And I'll, and I guess the last one is a little bit of fearlessness. Um, you know, you've got to be able to make that jump. I mean, we talked earlier about the agency that just gets comfortable. And from a mindset, I don't get how those people tick um, just because I, I can't do that. Um, but I think if we are not constantly thinking about the next level, you're never going to get to the next level. So you've got to be almost fearless in your approach of saying, you know, hey, what's the next level? We're going to get there no matter what. So I'm going to add to that, but I'm going to mix it in with yours, if that makes any sense. Go ahead. Number one, I think you've got to be a great leader. I think you have got to be a great leader. And here's why. If you are not a great leader, and again, we have a pandemic in the insurance industry because nobody ever teaches anybody how to lead, right? It's just everybody wakes up one morning and you got 10 people working for you and you're like, holy shit, what happened? If you're not a great leader, it's going to be almost impossible to build an army. And you cannot, I'm going to say it again, guys, you cannot get to 20 million, 50 million, 100 million without an army. You cannot sit in an office by yourself with maybe a girl or a guy answering the telephone with you and get to $100 million. That's just not going to happen. But if you are a great leader and you can build that army and create a culture where they, they want to be a part of this, right, and you hire great people, that's your first thing you got to do, hire great people, and then not only hire great people, but continue to hire great people and build that army that you need to write $100 million in insurance, right? That's To yep. me, that's number one. Number two would be innovative and, and the cons- not necessarily consultative, but crit- a lot of critical thinking skills, being able to, to solve problems. Because as Bradley and I started this podcast with, and I think I agree with what he said, I used to think it would never be harder than when I was scratch for two or three years, but I think it's harder now. Because the problems are bigger, more money, more problems. Everything's bigger. There's more people. There's more customers. Mm-hmm. There's more employees. Certain things that are easier. Certain things are if easier. If you have a bill that, you know, I posted yeah. on Facebook last week, we had a client that stiffed us. We had to pay three grand. Yeah, a big but deal. You pay it. But if you that would have happened it. in my first year, it could have you, potentially you, been devastating, you know. Right. Yeah. But to me, critical thinking is a Huge. big one. Huge. Big one, especially and, and the guy, people. And the guys and girls I know that have been $50 million, $100 million agencies, they had a lot of critical thinking skills, high IQ people. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it's almost impossible to get to the point to where you want to get to, to, to be that business owner without great relationships in the industry. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people I see that get to 50 or $100 million understand the politics of insurance and when i say insurance i'm talking about as an umbrella they they're friends with the ceo of hastings they know the the person that they need to talk to to get an appointment with that carrier that would be a game changer they understand going to these conferences and building these relationships with all of these people that all three of us are friends with in the industry as as ryan hanley told me one time we're in the club we're in the club. Yep. Right. You need to be in the club to get to a hundred million dollars. I wish it was not that way. I'm a fairness guy. I always want things to be fair and I wish it could be fair guys, but it's just freaking and, not. And nowadays too, you've got to have the, the, the stomach to not sell when, yeah. When Brown and Brown comes to you with yeah. a, $30 million offer. If Big you, check. I mean, is that what happens when you get to that 20, 30, $40 million and you want to take it to a hundred, all of a sudden you're getting people's attention. You know, they're not calling right. Bradley, you know yeah. what I mean? They're called, you know, so, so that's yeah. the other thing is you got to have, you got to have the stomach. There's a couple agency owners. I won't say their names that I'm thinking about right now that I'm like, yeah, they're just, they just like, I was one guy I was thinking about the other day. Like he just made his mind up. He's not going to sell. You know, and it almost changes the dynamic of, of, of the way that he operates to a degree. Yep. But Bradley, conversely to that, yep. 
there is nothing wrong, nothing wrong with money being your why, because I'm going to be completely honest. Let me pull my pants down for everybody right now. I'm not so sure my why right now isn't to get this thing as big as I can get it and sell it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not, I wasn't no. saying there's anything wrong with it because maybe that needs to be your why I want to get this son of a bitch to $20 million and go sell it to Brown and Brown and, and then take all my chips off the table and go retire to the Caribbean for the rest of my life. Right. Nothing wrong with that at all, but you're right. It, for, there is a certain level of respect for people that go, you know what? I don't care. I ain't doing it. I'm just going to stick with it. I'm going to keep going and keep growing. Or, or your number, value of money. or your hundred million dollar, two hundred million. That's your number that you're going to sell at. Maybe mm -hmm. that's that's the case, you know. Right. But I will say the flip side of that is, is I can 100% empathize with the agency owner who says he's not going to sell it, and then all of a sudden gets so damn stressed out, and somebody hits him at the right time or her at the right time, and it's like, okay, yeah, I'm 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 gone, peace out, you know. Right. What? Yeah, what, we always say we're going to sell when it's no fun anymore. And yeah, there are those exactly. days where it doesn't feel fun. What right, tickles me though, what tickles me though, are the agency owners, and I don't know anybody personally who's done this, so I'm not talking about anybody specifically, that their whole value add to their clientele is we're local, and then they go sell to Brown and Brown. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and nothing's definitely going to change for two weeks, right? Yeah. It's like, and everything <laughs> changes. So Bradley, our next podcast on this series, this, yeah, this is in part two of a three-part series. And Jack, I love you, and you've you've done really well for yourself and your family, and y'all y'all certainly got a just an unbelievable operation. But part three of this podcast is going to be with one of the biggest heavy hitters in the world. It's going to be you know Bradley mentioned Brown and Brown. It's going to be a CEO of a hundred million plus, maybe a billion plus insurance agency, and I have a sneaky suspicion that conversation is going to be a little different than this one because that's that's a whole that's private planes and helicopters right that's there, a whole folks. other world that's the hanging out on the yacht in the key west with brad paisley playing acoustic guitar and eating <laughs> you know what is it snow crab legs you know yeah so and, and and by the way when you get to that level insurance just becomes different because yep. you're not dealing with a day-to-day minutia that everybody listening to this podcast listens yeah. to. that it's, person it's, might not even be licensed <laughs> oh yeah let me say this guys i'm gonna leave, i'm gonna end on this just to show you what a dumbass scott howell is i'm gonna tell y'all right now what a dumbass scott howell is and i'm gonna call this agent out by name because i need to apologize to him when i started with nationwide insurance for one month they put me in randy jones randy jones and albertville alabama's office okay randy and deborah Randy is a $100 million agency, biggest, if not the biggest nationwide agent in the country. And I can remember at that time thinking to myself, because I had heard through his staff that he did not even know how to quote an insurance policy. I was a complete freaking idiot for, at the time, thinking less of him because I'm just this young kid producer and i'm thinking oh agency owner doesn't even know how to quote an insurance policy today i look back on that and randy i publicly in front of thirty-six thousand people apologize to you for thinking less of you for that because i was a freaking idiot and now today i look back on that i'm like god i was so stupid it's, even, it's just hard to even though. have that mind to even have that mindset that i'm like oh he doesn't even know how to quote an insurance policy well you know what you can build a hundred million dollar agency and build an army and you got, you guys know all the stuff you have to deal with. You shouldn't have to damn quote it. Yeah. Stormtroopers. Yeah. You shouldn't have to be able to quote an insurance policy. If you do something, you're going to get there. You're never going to get there. It's hard though. In your defense, it's hard when you're in one place and you're comparing yourself to something that's so big, you can't even fathom it to right. even see the other person's point of view. Yeah, there's you know you have no mean? perspective at that point. No, yeah, but but at the same time, I mean, there's like there, I'm sure there's agency owners or agents listening to this that are thinking like they're thinking almost that kind of same thing yeah, about yeah. Jack. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, right. or about you or about me? It's just it's really hard. This is a tough industry, and it's it the the, the 
it's a it's a slow moving industry and it's really hard to be successful if it was easy everybody would do it and it's it's tough to see the other person's point of view when you're so bogged down in what you are doing you know what i mean yeah i understand and there's a naivete that comes when you're starting this industry. Well, and, and that's pers- a good thing because you don't know how bad it's going to be. Yes, it's exactly. Like joining, it's kind of like joining the Marine Corps. Exactly. You don't really know what Paris Island's about. And if you did, you probably wouldn't show up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, right. Guys, Jack, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. As I end every podcast, rewards come from action, not discussion. Guys, happiness is an emotion. You want to be happy? Do something today to get better. That's what happiness is, is progressing forward every day. And I don't care what your why is. It can be your mama, your daddy. It can be the agency owner like Deborah Jones with Randy Jones and Associates that told a friend of mine that she liked Scott, but she didn't think he could handle the pace of their agency. Don't think I don't think about that every day I get out of bed. We're going to see who can handle whose pace. And I need to thank her because I probably wouldn't be sitting where I am today if it hadn't been for her saying that because it was rocket fuel. But Figure out what your why is. I don't care what it is. If it's money, let it be money. Go out there and make a shitload of it and let that be your why. Make money for your family, for your wife, for your kids, for your parents' college fund. Make money for them. Make money for your, for, for your mother-in-law and your father-in-law that are struggling, that got their trailer stolen three days ago. And if you got to go interview a damn tweaker and offer him $100 to find your trailer, go, go do it. Write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Guys, you were listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. We thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.